welcome to the Catholic Connect podcast. I'm your host, David Scubin. This is a podcast for all Catholics and people of goodwill who strive to live in the world, but not be of the world. First and foremost, we need to be disciples of Jesus ourselves. And then we go forth and make disciples of all nations, just as our Lord commanded. Through a series of timely topics and great guests, we will take that long and narrow journey to heaven together, encouraging each other in faith and virtue along the way. So let's get started. Praise be Jesus Christ now and forever. Uh, what a blessing it is to have a following guest join us up here in the great white north. He's based in the Los Angeles area. And he's a lay Catholic speaker and author who's hosted and appeared on programs for the Radio Maria Network and for EWTN. And a lot of you are probably picked up a few of his CDs at the back of your church through Lighthouse Media, just as I have. He is a husband and father of six. He holds the Certificate of Lay Ministry from the Diocese of Orange. And he can be heard every Wednesday hosting his live podcast called No Nonsense Catholic on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. But most importantly, he is our brother in Christ. Matthew Arnold is joining us. Matthew, how are you? I'm very well. I, boy, after that introduction, I can't wait to hear what I'm going to say. Matthew, it's a real blessing to have you. Thanks so much. The first time I ever heard you, actually, uh, uh, actually, I saw you in person. You were at the Family Life Conference here in Alberta. It's, um, uh, this is already a few years ago, uh, not to date uh, you or, or myself, but uh, you came in July. So I don't know how many times you come in, in up to Canada, Matthew, and now obviously you're, you're grounded uh, probably at home. But uh, we like to say up in Canada, there's uh, usually 10 months of hockey weather and two months of uh, really bad ice, and that'd be June and July. So have you come up to Canada a few yeah. times, Matthew, or is that, was that actually, your only Actually, a number of times. I have. I've been. I've been um, on both coasts primarily, but only once in the interior. That that family life conference you're talking about, which is up at the Black Saint Anne, right near Edmonton, Alberta. That's right. Exactly. Um, yeah. That, that was my only. That only visit to the you know the middle of the country. Hopefully soon we can have you come up here again. Um, yeah. Well, well, I, well, when things loosen up, huh? Oh, and they're pretty tight right now, aren't they? And uh, in California, they're, they're a little tighter than most, unfortunately. Uh, you know, up here in Alberta, Matthew, we're pretty blessed. In our archdiocese, at least we have, I believe it's 15% capacity in our churches that, that people can come. They have to sign up, but at least they can attend Mass. And, uh, and you know, our, our priests, uh, especially in our parish that I belong to here, they're, they're so good with being open to, to confessions. You know, people, hey, just come, mm -hmm. let's go to confession. But what's it like for for you folks down in california right now yeah it's you know i mean um california is pretty tight los angeles is particularly tight i i um, am blessed to live in orange county so i'm 30 40 miles south of la uh down by the coast and uh things are a little less restrictive here and um we're we're having mass outdoors and thanks be to god we've got the weather to do it you know uh and uh, but they've been good. Our, our our parish at least certainly has been good about um, making confession available. Uh, they we have confession I think three four times a week over there. And so, uh, but I, I um, attend a parish that's run by a religious order run by the Norbertine Fathers, and uh, and they're very attentive to the people and their needs. And so we're we're, we're quite blessed. Not that not the same uh, everywhere in California. I'm sorry to say. Well, that's well. That's outstanding to hear that. At least at your parish, there's that uh, that connection with the 
with the priests and they're taking the you know the sacraments uh, seriously and and uh, trying to yeah. administer that to their people that's so important matthew i, I wanted to, to talk really quickly about um uh, you're you're a convert to the faith so you have a, a, a unique perspective yeah. it seems every convert really does right and but uh, you converted mm-hmm. to the faith you um uh, and I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about that and that journey and, and what impact did your your wife and, and family have on that conversion? Well, um, that's everything. <laughs> had everything to do with that conversion. I had been involved, as you know, uh, from seeing me up in Black St. Anne, that I was involved in various New Age kind of practices uh, and for a long time. And then that became, um, you know, I, I got disheartened, just disillusioned, and really didn't want to have anything to do with anything, you know, uh, spiritual, you might say. And, uh, and I met a girl and we fell in love and she was Catholic and, and very faithfully. And she, um, she kind of gently evangelized me all along, although I did not get married. Uh, I did not uh, get received into the church before we were married. I was married uh, to her as a non-Catholic, but uh, after our first son came along and uh, the priest, when we, when we got married, he made me promise that uh, when our kids came along, since I was promising to raise them in the Catholic faith, that uh, that I would take RCIA when the you know kids came along and started having questions, and Betty of course when uh, when our first son Macklin was born she said oh are you going to take RCIA and I'm like well it's not like he has questions you know he can't even hold his own head up at this point, but um, when he was not quite three years old he asked his mom why everybody went to communion except for him and Daddy, and of course they, 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 we weren't we weren't really the only two that didn't, didn't go to communion but that's you know from his perspective. And like a good mom, she tries to explain to my little two-year-old son that um, to go to communion, you have to understand that the host is really Jesus. And he says, well, if that's Jesus, where's his hair? You know, perfectly <laughs> good two-and-a-half-year-old question. And she said, go ask your dad. Uh, so obviously I had no uh, answer for him. And she wanted me to understand that he really had a question. And so she brought up our CIA. And there was a, a very faithful priest at our parish at that time uh, who just seemed very sincere to me. And I said, well, if he was teaching the class, then I'd consider it. And so this is on a Sunday after mass on Monday morning, Betty calls the rectory and RCIA started that Thursday. And you can guess that priest was in fact the instructor. So I could see the planets aligning against me there. And I, and I took RCIA, but with no intention of becoming Catholic, you understand. And in fact, you know how it goes at those kind of things. The, the first uh, meeting, you kind of go around the room. What's your name? Why are you here? You know, and it's like, well, I'm Pam, and I'm getting married in the church, and I'm Bob, and I never got confirmed. And it gets around to me, and my name is Matthew, and I have no intention of becoming Catholic. I'm just here to find out what you people believe. <laughs> nice. Yeah. But it, maybe six weeks into it, though, the, the Holy Ghost just opened me up and hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, the, the priest that ran the program was very wise, and we started every um, meeting praying the rosary together kneeling with the intention that uh, uh, Our Lady would ask her most holy spouse, the Holy Spirit, to open our hearts and minds to the truth. And don't be doing that (laughs) if you don't want results, because uh, certainly that's what happened for me. I'm glad you brought up the story of of your son asking why Jesus didn't have, uh, or the community didn't have, didn't have hair. Uh, That's, I I remember you telling that story maybe through your radio program, but I just think that's such a a great story. It's such a great statement from, you know, the mouth of babes, right? But, um, right. Yeah. The witness for faith for me was this little two and a half year old kid. Outstanding. It's so beautiful. It's amazing how even children and I, um, 
you know, even even our kids, our our oldest son Xavier, just uh, his passion for saints when he was younger. He was about three, four years old, and and Matthew is it was kind of comical. He had a real uncanny ability to memorize the feast days of saints, and so you could rattle off any saint, and he would tell you the just the the day on the calendar, right? That, <laughs> and I just thought that was really, I thought it was kind of funny, but then I, I realized that as he um, he'd ask more questions about the saint itself and and i'd be reading more about saints and then i and it's come to the point now where i was like man i look back that was you know 10 years ago and my love for the saints has grown so much just from my own son's example even though it was something silly Mm -hmm. as memorizing feast days now rcia i'm I'm glad you mentioned that this this priest sounds like he had a a real significant (laughs) impact on on you and your desire to continue that journey of faith to the church you mentioned the rosary and uh and kneeling those are all important things, aren't they, in the church? And it seems like we're maybe lacking that a little. In the in the name of ecumenism, we try to make things a little too, maybe a little too simple, a little too watered down when it comes to inviting people to come to the church and, and not unlocking those riches of the rosary, a relationship with the Blessed Virgin Mary. Something as simple as just postures too, right? Kneeling is something oh, that... Uh, we, uh, we we don't do enough of, but those actions and those, um, the example, they, they all mean something, don't they, Matthew? Absolutely. Um, we are an incarnate people, right? We're, we're, we're composites, we're spirit and body, and you need to uh, use your whole self when it comes to the worship of God and your relationship with God. It's not, it's not enough for it to simply be a mental exercise. And all those, all the postures of prayer and the postures that we assume at Mass and all of that, it's all very much a part of it. And it all has significance as well. You know, not everybody's aware of the significance of every posture. Maybe that's another show for another time. But um, these things are meaningful. And perhaps just knowing that they are meaningful, that they're not arbitrary, uh, is, is part of it too. But ultimately, it's kind of what Bishop Sheen said. He said, you either behave as you believe or you'll wind up believing as you behave. And that's the, uh, you know, I think it, it's important for us to stand out. You know, we're, we're meant to be salt and light. We're meant to be leaven in uh, the world. And that's only going to happen if people understand that there's something different here on offer. And I, I love quotes from Archbishop Sheen. I don't think I do it often enough on this podcast. Now, when you're, the, the journey to, to, to convert, you have a unique perspective on the church and and where we're at and i guess where i was going with that previous question was that it seems that we're really lacking in our the church's overall outreach to people and uh you know when we even a a parish my size and a good parish for sure and it's not not certainly not pointing the finger at our parish or any other parishes but when you only have you know three or four people show up for our cia and then you see the numbers of people that aren't no longer coming to church you gotta think there's like what what are we doing that's maybe wrong what what are what can we do maybe not what's wrong but what can we do better what can we do to improve to to invite and bring people into the church and and into our cia well there is a uh, a saying that i heard um about 1500 times too many when i came into the church (laughs) which is attributed to saint francis assisi which is that, uh, you know, to preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. It's like, well, it's necessary. Okay, we need, we need the, the, uh, the example, the teaching by example, um, we, actually is what we were just talking about. But it's, it's not sufficient. 
you know, when St. When Francis of Assisi walked the earth, everybody was already Catholic and he yeah. was trying to make them better ones, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but he, you know, he went to um, Damietta in Egypt in the year 1219 during the Second Crusade to actually preach the gospel to the Sultan there. You know, it's not, not widely known that, that he was, you know, he was not as ecumenical as you might imagine St. Francis to be. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, he commended the soul of that uh, Sultan to God. He told him, if you don't convert, you know, God's not going to accept your soul because you're, you're following a false religion. And that's, those are kind of harsh words to, to uh, hear from the mouth of, you know, a saint who's become a plaster uh, bird feeder in the mind of a lot of people. You know, it, it um, does he, seem he's that preaching way. to the to the animals and all that. You know, it's like I, he's not Snow White in the forest, the enchanted forest. You know, he was a real human being who lived a real life and a life of, of real dedication to God and and sacrifice for the faith. And and I, I think we need to be there. Ultimately, it's it's about not being comfortable. I mean, I think that's the thing. I think that. Uh, Maybe the the liturgical renewal and and the outreach to other um, denominations or other faiths even has created this idea that that mass needs to be a comfortable place. It's like Jesus didn't come to make people comfortable. You know, he, he came to comfort the afflicted, but I think he also came to afflict the comfortable. You know, and and that's the thing. It's it's you need to be able to step outside of your comfort zone and be able to take it on the chin sometimes because the gospel isn't good news to everybody you know if they're if they're actively trying to fight against you know their own nature perhaps preach the gospel always and that means sometimes you actually have to preach the gospel well and, and the funny thing about that uh, saying from saint francis is it doesn't sound like he even said that at all right so no, um, no. <laughs> it, goes to, it goes to show that sometimes people will uh will take the words of saints and i think uh I think Trent Horn, uh, I believe he wrote uh, a book about um, saints, the things the saints never said, right? And I think that was one of them. Mm -hmm. But it's funny yeah. how people can twist a word to kind of suit uh, an agenda, you know, if, if, uh, if I can say right. that. Well, of course. In the Catholic Church, there is, it is uh, age-old teaching that there is no salvation outside the Catholic Church. When we're talking about ecumenism, you, you bring up St. Francis going to, to visit the Sultan. He wasn't going to leave that sultan where he was at, no matter how powerful he was on right. earth and what he believed. He was there to to preach the gospel and and give him that option and tell him about that narrow road to eternal life. Do you think we're kind of slipping a little bit as as lay people for sure? You know, it's kind of like uh, it's like the old Barney song. You know, we I love you, you love me, everybody's happy, right? But you know, things aren't okay <laughs> when we just go like that, right? We have to. We have right. to be on the offense sometimes, and sometimes we're on the defense so much that uh, we forget that we need to actually share and, and and challenge people where they're at, right? Because like you said before, there's really no such thing as neutral, right, Matthew? When you're in your spiritual walk, either you're right. moving ahead to Christ and, and moving ahead to heaven, or you're moving backwards. There's really no neutral. So That's true. What, what are your thoughts on that? That's true. And it's, it's also true that the higher you rise in spiritual life, the further you have to fall. So you have to remain diligent at all times. Right. First is extra ecclesia nulla salis. Outside the church, there's no salvation, which is a term that was coined by St. Cyprian around the year 289. And he, um, you know, there have been several clarifications on that axiom, extra ecclesia nulla salis. In the 18th century, in the 19th century, and then again, 
at the, right at the cusp of the 21st century with Dominus Jesus came out in the year 2000. So at the very end of the 20th century, there have been uh, from Rome specifically, documents or papal uh, uh, exhortations and whatnot, explaining extra ecclesia nulla salus. Outside the church, there's no salvation is absolutely um, something that we uphold. But that doesn't mean that everybody who's not a card-carrying member of the Catholic Church goes to hell. See, that's, that's the problem, is it's, it's, it's understood that way. It's like, no, what that means is if you get to heaven, if you get to heaven, the reason that you got to heaven will be because of the merits won by our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross that are communicated to the world through the sacraments of the Catholic Church, period. Nobody gets to heaven without Jesus. He says so. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now, the ordinary means of doing that, of course, is by becoming a Catholic, receiving the sacraments, and living a, a good moral life. But there are those, of course, the invincibly ignorant, right? Somebody who lives up in the jungly bungly tree who never heard of the gospel or, you know, someone who perhaps, and, and this is just, you know, this fading into the realm of opinion, but I, I wonder about the person who's been taught from, from infancy that uh, the Pope is the Antichrist and the church is the whore of Babylon. You know, how, what, what is his culpability when it comes to not embracing the fullness of the Catholic faith. I don't know, and neither does anybody else. That's why we have all sorts of saints, and your uh, your son can tell us uh, what day their feast is celebrated, <laughs> but we don't have a list of the people that are in hell, Yeah. right? Because that because only God knows the heart, mm -hmm. and he is the one who judges. We don't, you know, it's just in the gospel uh, uh, a week or so ago in the extraordinary form from St. Paul that you do not judge before the time. You know, even St. Paul says, even though I believe myself to be in a good state, that doesn't mean that I am because it's, I'm not the one that judges, God is, right? And oh. so even, even in regards to my own salvation, you know, I, I don't have any, any sort of definitive answer as to where I'm going to spend eternity. That's why I work out my salvation with fear and trembling, like it says in the gospel. Right. Yeah. So, so that's number one. Outside the Catholic Church, there's no salvation doesn't mean that we're condemning everybody who's not Catholic to hell. You mentioned proselytization. There is, uh, you, we need to be, like St. Thomas, you have to define your terms. Uh, Pope Francis famously said recently that, that proselytization is solemn nonsense. And if you understand proselytization as forced conversion, then of course he's absolutely correct. You know, we, we, we've never embraced the idea of, of you know, turn or burn, right? You know, like the, like the followers of Islam, you either accept uh, Islam or will cut your head off. There's the old uh, saying, he who is convinced against his will is of the same opinion still, right? <laughs> you know? In other words, forced conversion, we, we want a change of heart and mind, not just a change of, of uh, venue, you know? So uh, it's important to that people embrace the faith of their own free will. That's, that's the only way that it works. So proselytization in, in the sense of, you know, forcing somebody to convert is, is nothing that we would ever embrace. But the, that word can also mean giving people, um, you know, evidence convincing them of the truth of your position and that i think is extremely valuable in fact it, it's almost difficult to imagine a, a lot of conversions ever happening without it without somebody to say no no here's why that uh, opinion is mistaken you know just clearing up confusion that's why i called my podcast no nonsense catholic i just i don't want to drift into these areas where there's a lot of conjecture when there is so much that's written in stone you know if, if we could I think if we could manage it on that front, if we could handle the black and white, the gray areas wouldn't be so overwhelming. Absolutely. And, and on proselytization as well, I mean, th I think that's what where Catholics even get hung up a little bit is that, oh, maybe I'm 
maybe I'm not supposed to be <laughs> talking about my faith and, and sharing the gospel because I don't want to f- make people feel uncomfortable. But there's a difference, right, Matthew, between making someone feel a little bit uncomfortable and forcing someone to convert. There's a big difference there, right? Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And when, when, you know, when I was talking earlier about discomfort, I was talking more along the lines of Catholics. You know, yeah, you, yes. You, you, yes. Don't, you, don't go to, you don't go to Mass to have your hand held. You go there to be challenged, you know, at least sometimes. Certainly mm-hmm. the gospel would uh, would indicate that but when it comes to when it comes to sharing the faith you know i mean obviously you can catch more more flies with uh, honey than vinegar i think it was uh, philip neary one of the saints actually coined that phrase but at the same time you have to tell people the truth let me give you a just tell you a story i remember a guy when i worked at saint joseph communications as their uh creative director so all of, all of that Scott Hahn stuff was going over my desk before it went out to the world, you know. And I became the de facto in-house apologist because I was the only speaker who actually worked in the office, you know. So people would call with questions and they would come to my phone. And, and there was this one fellow and he was asking about the papacy. And we had a nice chat and I, I directed him towards some materials. And he called back, you know, a couple of weeks later and says, okay, I can see that. Now, what about... What about the Eucharist here? And then we start talking about that. And on and on, for, for maybe a year, every few weeks, I get a call from this guy about some other topic of the faith. And, and the dominoes were falling kind of one by one. Okay, I accept that, but what about this? Okay, I can see that point, but what about this? And finally, we got around to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And he says, you know, I, I, I get it on Immaculate Conception, Perpetual Virgin, uh, Mother of God, it's all good. But, but you know, the... The assumption, really, you don't see much evidence for that until you get around to the, the second century and blah, blah. And I, and I finally just, I don't know what it was. Maybe I got up on the wrong side of the bed, but I kind of blew up at him and said, you know, your problem is not the Blessed Virgin Mary. Your problem is that you don't want to be Catholic and you're trying to find an excuse. And so, so, you know, call me back when you're serious. And I hung up on the guy and then I thought to myself immediately, what did I just do? That's insane. You know, <laughs> I've invested so much time in this guy and here I just blew him off, you know, and now he's probably not going to ever be Catholic. And. You know, I've just uh, confirmed his every suspicion. And then more than a year later, I get a call from the same guy. And we were doing a biblical conference out in Ontario, California, not Ontario, Canada, Ontario, California. And he said, or he asked if I was going to be there. And I said, yeah, I was going to be the MC. And he says, well, I'd like to meet you in person. And he told me that he had come into the Catholic Church. And, and this guy, what I didn't know is that he was a pastor of a church and he was part owner of a whole chain of bookstores. Um, and, but, you know, the, the, uh, one of the conditions was that he embraced Sola Scriptura and Sola Fides and so forth. And so becoming Catholic had deprived him of his career and his entire livelihood. And it really cost him something. But he told me that it was the kick in the pants that made him cross the tiber, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It was precisely that you know, the, the, the uh, lecture that I gave him that, uh, that turned the tide. So you never know, you know, and, and I, I like to think maybe that was the, the Holy Spirit giving me a nudge because I, I, you know, when I was done with it, I'm going, I can't believe I said that. That's a, that's a, that's a you, fascinating story. You just story. never know. But you're right. Like, like you said, there, there's a, a lot of folks out there that, and I know through uh, Marcus Grodi, right, the journey home of, if anybody's seen mm-hmm. that program and uh, there's several, I mean, years and years worth of stories of converts coming to the church and and you do get a glimpse of similar to the pastor you talked to matthew there they have a lot to to lose not just their you know 
potentially their career, but also their family, right? It's that's a oh, right, and their friends. Yeah, and, and you mentioned you know where uh, there's a lot of misinformation spread about the Catholic Church and certain denominations of, of who the church really is, and then when you when you're in that uh, that congregation and you make that decision to to look into the Catholic Church, and then in your heart you feel like you need to to make that step, like you said, to cross the Tiber and, mm-hmm. and join the church. That's a real tough decision, right? But isn't that interesting how that, uh, yeah, just that one little, uh, <laughs> that push, maybe that was the the last push to, to, to get him to, to come across. You know, there's a, I think it's in the Baltimore Catechism, Matthew, there's that illustration of the boat, the ship, you know, the, I guess the, the bark of Peter. And there's a whole right. bunch of people in the water. Um, I think they're kind of on, on like a, a lifeboat or some sort of, um, a boy of some sort that, that they're, and it's all connected mm-hmm. to the, the, the church, the, the boat. And I think it's um, related to uh, salvation uh, outside the church. If you have some sort of connection to the Catholic church there, you still, right. there's still something there for you, right? There's, there is that hope. That was the point of the Vatican, second Vatican council was to, to make explicit the fact that there are many elements of the Catholic church that exist outside of her visible structure you know, are separated brethren. They have, they have prayer. They have valid sacraments, certainly in the, in the case of baptism and, and often matrimony. They have, uh, you know, the Word of God. They've got the Holy Bible. So they have many of the elements of salvation that are present in those communities, but they don't have the fullness of the faith. And I know that there are some people, uh, like on a, a very traditional end of things who would criticize that and say, no, you know, it's kind of a, a, an all or nothing thing, but it's, and, and they really get upset because Vatican II gave us the formula that the Church of Christ subsists in the Catholic Church, whereas at the Council of Trent, it simply said the, the Church of Christ is the Catholic Church, subsisted in in Latin versus est, you know, subsist in versus is, and, you know, the, the, the argument being is like, well, if they, if they, Church of Christ only subsists in the Catholic Church, and means it can subsist elsewhere. But that's incorrect. It's, it's, it's rather like the philosophical distinction between substance and accidents. So, you know, like we know, like the Holy Eucharist, the, the substance of the bread and wine becomes the body and blood of Christ. The accidents remain, that, you know, the look, the taste, the feel, and so forth. And, and it's the same thing here, that the Church of Christ subsists in the Catholic Church. That means that many of the of the accidents, the accidental elements, right? So you've got a valid sacrament here and, and you know, uh, the Bible and, and some prayers and so forth. But the substance of the church, that which makes the Church of Christ the Church of Christ, subsists in the Catholic Church. So the substance is here, even though the accidents are elsewhere. And it's actually, in, in ways, it's a stronger statement because it, because it, uh, it reflects the, the reality that there are, you know, that people have access in a limited way to the graces won by Christ on the cross. It's a good lesson even for us Catholics to remember and realize um, all the amazing graces that flow from Mass, from the -hmm. consecration of the Eucharist, from from people receiving the Eucharist worthily, and how everything good, like you said before, Matthew, everything good that comes into the world is is through that sacrifice, through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, right? And and through the mass. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, the book that you wrote a couple of years ago is called confessions of a traditional Catholic. And um, mm-hmm. so this, um, and this is kind of coming back to, 
to Catholic or to Catholics out there and, and to into the beauty of Catholicism. There was this is probably about a month ago, Matthew. I um, there was a, a small kind of a country parish of my youth is probably the best way to put it. And uh, unfortunately, it was it was very small. There's only like ten people live in this town, Matthew. So it was in Tawatin, Alberta, <laughs> and uh, the. Um, you know, we only had maybe enforced social distancing pretty much right there you go <laughs> so this this is uh you know back when i was four or five years old and uh, we would attend this this little country parish and uh, it was uh, it was outstanding i remember really loving it i i smelt beeswax uh, for the first time it was a box of candles uh it, beeswax this is like i said about a month or two ago but you know what was really interesting matthews it took me back to that parish this little parish that had lots of icons, statues, stained glass windows. And I, I, I smelt that. And I remember it just took me back to a joyful place of my youth. And I remembered when I was young, I remember that smell. I didn't really know what it was at the time, but I was like, that's the beeswax, right? A very traditional mm-hmm. um, thing in the Catholic church that, uh, that we've lost a little bit. And unfortunately now, I hate to say it, but you know, the smell that we go into a lot of parishes now is that of um, disinfectant wipes and, uh, and hand sanitizer. And um, right. to tie this into the to, to your story, when you became a Catholic, Matthew, what kind of drew you to, I guess, this, it was a, a, a Latin mass, I believe, Matthew, that that, uh, that you were attending then, right? But it wasn't, it, uh, it was a, a valid mass, but it wasn't uh, in the structure of the yeah, diocese, well, right? Yeah, is that how it is, works? Yeah. 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 And this, it, Story is I came into the church via RCIA at a regular parish, but it was kind of like the parish of a youth in the sense it was a small conservative parish, and I just assumed the whole church was like that. You know, the the, the homilies were very orthodox. The uh, when communion time came, the priest came from the rectory to distribute communion. There was no extraordinary ministers or any of that. It really was the apostolic succession that was the intellectual linchpin for my conversion. I mean, I converted because I was praying the rosary and the Blessed Virgin Mary interceded on my behalf. That's why I'm Catholic. But uh, but intellectually, it just made sense. It's like, oh, wait a second. You know, the, the apostles didn't just write this book and say, here, make up your own religion. Christ founded a church and then it produced the book, you know, and it, as, as a kind of nominal Protestant, that, that just really something clicked in my brain and, and it made sense, you know. Uh, <clears throat> so that... The, the, the aspect of tradition is, is just, it's so important, it's so essential to Catholicism and your understanding of Catholicism. And what happened is when our pastor retired, they brought in, you know, a new team and it was, you know, with the, I, I don't mean to offend anybody, but, you know, the liturgical Nazis and everything just turned crazy, you know. I mean, it was like, I, I, I think that kind of like what a lot of people in the church experienced when they introduced the new mass, I was going through kind of a, my own little version of that where they, they were taking the mass that I had come to know and love and were doing all these crazy things to it. And I just started groping around looking for a mass that was more orthodox than the one we were going to. And every place I went seemed to be, you know, it was worse and worse and worse. And ultimately, um, somebody told me that there was a small parish down by the beach. It was like a 40-minute 40 mi- uh, drive, but uh, just, just a couple of blocks from the ocean, and there was this little place, Mary, Star of the Sea, and they had a pastor there who said one Latin Mass a week on Sunday. And he was an older priest, obviously, from, you know, he remembered from before. But it was under, at the time, John Paul II had an indult. It was called the Ecclesia Dei Indult. And under that, they allowed this one Mass in the whole 
you know, all of Orange Diocese, which is massive. Um, and I went there and I just, I just fell in love with it. I thought, this is it. This is what I've been looking for without even knowing it, you know? Uh, and that's the thing. When I came into the church in 96, there weren't, you know, St. Joseph Communications was, was kind of off the ground. Catholic Answers sort of off the ground, but they weren't, you know, I mean, there was no EWTN in my, with, without a satellite dish, you know, that sort of thing. And so most of the stuff that I, when I read my way into the church, it was Faith of Our Fathers by James Cardinal Gibbons, who was Catholic Church Has the Answer by Paul Whitcomb. It was things that were all written pre-conciliar, you know, and I'm going, it's like, even the language of the Bible, the old Dewey-Reims that they used was very different from what I was experiencing at Mass. So I was already kind of feeling that tension. Then when I discovered this Mass, I said, well, that's it. And we started driving 40 minutes to go to Sunday Mass every month or every week. Unfortunately, when he died, um, the Mass died with him. You know, the, the, the bishop at the time didn't see that it was necessary to, to continue that since, you know, it was this priest's personal kind of thing. And so I started, you know, looking around for another place. And I wound up, yes, at an independent chapel where there was a priest there who, you know, validly ordained, saying a valid mass. But the, the, um, the little church, the chapel was outside of the diocesan structure, right? So they didn't have any, you know, faculties from the bishop. They didn't have any... Uh, uh, real ministry in the church, you know, uh, and I, but I, um, I satisfied myself logically. See, I was, I was running into this kind of cognitive dissonance that I know the church teaches this, but what's happening at mass, what's happening in the homily, something else, what's happening at the school, you know, everything that's happening in our, in our church seems to be almost directly opposed to what's going on, you know, what I know Catholicism to actually be. And so I, I um, justified it by saying, well, I know that this mass is valid but it's not licit because he's not in communion with the bishop. And I know that the mass at my parish church is valid, but it's not licit because of the uh, egregious liturgical abuse. So if I have a choice between illicit masses, I'll choose the one that looks Catholic. You know? um, and now that logic is faulty. Let me admit that. And, you know, and that's why I, I couldn't stay. I, I, I couldn't allow that situation to continue indefinitely. In fact, um, one of the problems with that, when you break away like that, is people get into this mindset where they think they know better than the bishop, they know better than the pope, they know better than everybody. And I could see them, you know, becoming uh, more and more, you know, like for me, it's like I'm, I'm Robin Hood in the woods. I'm waiting for the, for the return of the king. I'm not here, like, because I want to be here. I'm not here because I've made a choice to, to separate myself. You know, when was it ever traditional to set up your own apostolate over and against the local ordinary. You know, that's, that's not a traditional thing to do. That's a, that's a you know, Protestant thing to do, frankly. And so um, I actually had determined to bring my family back into the diocesan structure come hell or high water. And we'd been there for a number of years, so this was not going to be easy, especially since I was the catalyst for going there in the first place, you know. Um, my poor wife, uh, long-suffering through all of this. Uh, but I just said, you know, because uh, she fell in love with it too. I mean, I can remember the very first traditional mass we went to. I, I just loved it. And I was, I was hoping that she had had a positive experience. And I just said to her, I said, you know, what, what do you think? And she says, I feel like I've just been to mass for the first time in my life. And she's a cradle Catholic, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, long story longer, um, I, I had determined, I, I had actually decided that we would move to another state so that we could go to a, a fraternity of St. Peter Parish that was in union with uh, the diocese and in union with Rome, you know, so that we would be able to continue to go to the traditional mass, but under, uh, you know, fully licit as well as valid. 
And, and then Pope Benedict XVI came to the rescue with some more in Pontificum, and the uh, Norbertine priest started offering a extraordinary form mass right in our own backyard. So thanks be to God, uh, I was spared the move, and, uh, and we were able to continue and be in full communion with the church. And that's the only place to be. And you know what, I got to tell you one thing, a point that I'm trying to make in the book. I talk about traditional Catholics versus traditionalists. And I think, you know, a traditionalist is an ideologue. And a traditional Catholic is just somebody who, believes, my, my definition of a traditional Catholic is not where you go to mass, but can you say the act of faith and really mean it? That's an important because distinction. You can say Matthew. the act of faith and, and, and that's it. Then, you, then you are, you're a traditional Catholic, whether you like it or not at that point. <laughs> you know? and, and, but, but that's the distinction. Can you say, I believe everything that the Catholic Church believes and teaches because it's been revealed by God? Who can neither deceive nor be deceived? If you believe that, then then that's the no nonsense Catholic. That's my kind of my new uh, term for it. I love it. We need a little more uh, no nonsense in our church for sure. Well, that makes a lot of sense, Matthew. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, full disclosure to you, Matthew. I've never attended a traditional Latin mass, even with the FFSB. Mm-hmm. I'd like to do that. We do have uh, options here in Alberta. I haven't done so, but I, I'd really like to do that uh, sometime in the near future. I just, I just want to give you one little piece of advice and anybody listening that would like to go to a traditional mass who's never been don't try and follow along <clears throat> that is my that is my advice to you first off it's not absolutely necessary to fulfill your obligation that you follow along with what the priest is saying and so forth because you're going to get lost and um you know if you if you just go and allow the experience to just wash over you you know you'll know when they get to the epistle you'll know when they get to the gospel you can read those things that's great but the rest of it just watch just watch what's happening on on in the sanctuary and and let it that experience you know kind of wash over you and if it's something that you like then the, the rest of it'll come you'll, you'll see that the that the structure of the two expressions of the roman rite are really not that dissimilar it's really very very similar it's just you know the, the way it's approached is, is a little different it's not maybe what you're used to seeing that's why i think it's important to to pay attention to what's happening at the altar and in the sanctuary and and then and, and just you know you pray you can pray in your own words if, you, if necessary, you know, and then you get to that point where you can, when you can follow it along. All right. So that's just my yeah. two cents. Well, thank you, Matthew. You know, that, that's, uh, that's great. And, you know, I, I guess I've, you know, just through my travels, I've attended mass at many, many places. And, uh, and uh, for the most part, it's, it's great. You feel like home. That's a beautiful thing about the church, right? Being a Catholic is you go to other mm-hmm. cities or other countries. And a lot of times you walk in and even though, some of the people might not even speak your language. Uh, uh, they might, uh, it, it's just everybody looks a little bit different. But boy, when you get into that church, you're, you're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's, uh, it's beautiful. And it's, it's hard to explain to someone unless you've experienced it yourself. But, you know, I've, I've, I have attended Mass like in the Eastern Rite, right, Matthew? So we have a lot of Ukrainian Catholic churches here. We have an eparchy in, mm-hmm. in Edmonton. And, uh, and it's beautiful, too. I, I love how they... Uh, they, they do a lot of things three times. And uh, the inside joke right. with Ukrainian Catholics is they don't spend as much time in purgatory because they, they do the sign of the cross three times more than we do <laughs> Roman Catholics. But, uh, and, I, and, I, and I've always loved that, that beauty in, in their liturgy. And, you know, when you go inside the parishes too, Matthew, just the art, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the, the small mm-hmm. little domes, but they've got the, the paintings inside and, and uh, stations of the cross that are beautiful to look at. And you just, you, you see, it, it takes your... Um, your soul to some something bigger, right? Magnanimity, the desire for for greatness, right. and and you want to be a part of of the team, right? And 
but uh, you know, and I've right. attended a lot of beautiful Novus Ordo masses too. Uh, you know, there's sure. it's, it's done very reverently. Then, but there's there's sometimes where uh, that that lack of reverence and, and piety you're seeing it a lot in some of right. these these parishes. And that's do do you think that maybe that um, you know when when we don't celebrate the liturgy with reverence is that leading to a decline in the supernatural faith with our amongst our fellow Catholics. I mean, we see the numbers, right? The numbers are not good. They're not flattering. We're, we're hardly a juggernaut. Well, you bring up piety, and of course, and that is just such an important gift of the Holy Spirit. It is uh, a virtue, and it is, yes, yeah, so sadly lacking in many quarters uh, of the church and the world. I mean, piety flows from the, uh, the fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother. To be, to be pious is to follow the traditions of your fathers. And in the 20th century, that became the one thing that was, you know, least respected, right? It's all about, you got to challenge authority and you got to do things your own way and you have to find your own path. And, you know, this is not your father's fill in the blank. And, uh, but that's, but that's a problem because you see, if you, when you look at the scriptures <laughs> or you look at the church, you look at the mass even, you know, it's all about, even Paul VI, when he uh, introduced the, the new liturgy, when he, you know, kind of mandated that they, they make that change to the, the Novus Ordo Misae, he said that liturgy, he says, is, is like a tree. And, and that it, 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 uh, it only stands because of the, it has the, these deep roots in the tradition, right? So it's, re it's really, he's going, it's, like it's, not all, it's not all that different. All this, the meaning and everything is, is the same. And cosmetically, it looks different, though. And, and unfortunately, that's the place where, where the, the lack of piety reigns, when, when you start introducing things into the Mass that don't belong. You know, there's, there's all sorts of things that you see when, when, a, when a priest comes out and says, hi, everybody, how, you know, I hope you're having a nice weekend. How did your sports team do? It's like, I defy you to find that in any liturgical book. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, uh, you know, and it's really not the place to ad lib. You know, you've got the homily, you've got your time. So, Father, you know, all the priests out there, just for your own sake and for ours, you know, say, say the black and do the red, as they say. Right? That's like <laughs> the, the, the prayers are printed in black and the rubies are printed in red in the missile. It's like, you know, it's do that and everything will be fine. Because in, in so many places, I think that the mischief that we, discover within our um, belief, you know, in the way Catholics behave is directly attributable to the uh, lack of piety at the, at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And, and you're talking about statistics and, you know, uh, something like 75% of people born after 1960 don't believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Catholics I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And these are church-going Catholics. These are not the 75% of American Catholics that never darkened the door of a church. These are the people that show up every Sunday, you know. Wow. Oftentimes yeah. you've got, and you have people that, uh, that go to communion out of, you know, routine. And, and it really needs to be understood as a gift and not as a, not as something you just do out of habit, you know? And that really is a frightening statistic, isn't it, Matthew? Like 75%. I mean, that's, uh, <clears throat> when we look at, at our pews here, um, there's a lot of people that don't believe in the source and the summit of the Catholic church, right? And boy, that's a, mm -hmm. that's a tough pill for all of us to swallow, really. I mean, if we're the body of Christ and we have people that aren't participating, um, it's, it, it brings us all down and we just, it, it, you know, I hope it, it reinvigorates us, you know, the, the ones that, that we do know the true presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, we, we acknowledge and, 
and go to confession regularly so that we can, we can heal and, uh, mm-hmm. and we can bring these folks back because, uh, yeah, I mean, I, and I, I certainly, um, don't want to discredit anybody from, uh, you know, going to, uh, you know, your, your, your Protestant brothers and sisters and, and ask, inviting them to, you know, listen to a Matthew Arnold CD <laughs> or a talk or something like that. <laughs> but, boy, we, we've got a lot of work in our own barn, don't we? And, um, we do. And I, you know, I, I do have one comment really just quickly to make on that is that the problem with um, that, that lack of piety amongst Catholics is that it, it leaves a, it leaves a, a space, it leaves a hole. And then you wind up trying to fill that hole with, you know, uh, things that don't fit, right? You, I, I know that uh, here in um, North America, both the United States and Canada, a lot of kind of new agey stuff has, has filtered into Catholic practice. And <clears throat> it's like, it's not like we don't have a 2000 year tradition of sublime spiritual, uh, you know, we have a sublime spiritual tradition, we have a great tradition of piety. There's, you know, there's no lack of, uh, you know, being able to get in touch with the supernatural through the ordinary means, you know, provided by the Catholic Church. You don't have to go looking for Eastern meditation or, or you know, yoga or Reiki or whatever it is to try and find what's, you know, it's like Dorothy Gale in The Wizard of Oz. It's really right there in your own backyard. You don't have to go looking for it. You know, you just have to have a better appreciation of what you have. Yeah, I mean th- that's the philosophy of of this passing world, right? And and uh, mm-hmm. you know I, I think of Our Lady of Guadalupe, right? And I mean I don't think anybody was was looking to say, hey, you know, the Aztecs have been soundly defeated spiritually here by by Our Lady. Was there anything redeemable about what they were doing before that we can bring into our uh, our our tradition here in the Catholic <laughs> Church? Do you know what I mean, Matthew? That, that's to be an extreme example, right. but there are other smaller, more subtle ones. You mentioned other. Eastern spirituality, and I, I brought that up to you offline on an email. That there's, um, you know, if if you're, that's really that's true false ecumenism, isn't it? When you're trying mm-hmm. to, you know, make space for, for like I said, the philosophy of this world that that really has nothing to do with Christ and nothing to do with, uh, um, you know, having your eyes fixed on heaven, and and uh, and we've been doing this for thousands of years already. Uh, is there really a need to integrate this stuff into our liturgy? Well, and, <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, at, at 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 some point, it does a disservice to the people that you're reaching out to. Um, my name is Arnold. I did the DNA thing, and I have, you know, where you go have you, you send your saliva to some laboratory and they tell you what your uh, your genetic makeup is. And I'm almost entirely English, which is since you know my, my family's been in this country for a very long time, almost unheard of that I would be so. English. I'm more English than a lot of English people, apparently, uh, genetically speaking. But then, you know, and I have, so my Anglo-Saxon roots also then go to the, the Teutonic peoples, you know, the, the, the Danes and the Saxons who came to England and, and uh, started burning things down and hit people over the head. And, you know, when the English evangelist Boniface went to Germany and everybody was worshipping Thor, around Christmas time there with big sacred oak, he went with an ax and cut the tree down. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> he didn't say, hey, let's all, while we're gathered around the oak, let me tell you about Jesus. It's like, no. So you gotta, you have to abandon this and embrace this true thing instead. And, and we were able to do it. And I don't think that there was anything about my ancestors that, uh, that non-Christian people today possess that they have to be coddled and, and, and seduced into, into embracing the truth. 
You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like I don't, yeah. I don't mean to be, I don't, I don't mean to impugn the efforts of anybody that's, that's trying to to reach out and evangelize. But at the same time, it's like you need to embrace these things. You need to put on the new man. You become a, a new person in Christ. You because it's, you know we're looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth. You got to detach yourself from this stuff, not mm-hmm. carry your baggage with you. Hundred percent. That's just you know. I mean, obviously, I, I I'm a I'm a certified catechist, and that was that was, I'm not wearing my catechist hat. That was a personal opinion, but but take it for what it's worth. No, that's uh, that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Well, you know, Matthew, the time is flying by. I just took a look at uh, at the clock here. And I'm like, oh, I knew this was going to fly by with you, Matthew. I really appreciate uh, <laughs> you taking the time for us. Uh, before we go, I, I know that you really like uh, uh, The Imitation of Christ by uh, Thomas A. Kempis. Indeed. And uh, yes. in addition to, to the Thomas A. Kempis work, what other devotions and spiritual habits can we kind of uh, start this uh, this new year coming around the corner uh, with and and to bring us to, to holiness and, and strive for that magnanimity. The uh, most important aspect of uh, the spiritual life is to have some kind of rule of life. Uh, you know, and, and it, you know, for a lay person in the world, it has to be practical. You can't, you know, uh, uh, for example, and well, I'll take, I'll take my own personal spirituality, for example. I pray the Liturgy of the Hours daily. It is the other official liturgical prayer of the church but you don't have to go anywhere or gather with anyone to participate you can say the prayers privately and be joined to the universal practice of the church you know priests and religious and lay people all around the world saying these same prayers you know uh, and making these same uh, offerings and so forth every single day and it's you know i mean it's primarily the psalms but then also the uh, there's lots of other scripture in there as well and these beautiful prayers. And the thing is, um, I I wanted to do that. And, you know, the, the traditional divine office, it's impossible for, I, I can't just drop everything every three hours around the clock and pray for 20 minutes. You know, I'm sorry, I can't give, you know, that that commitment is, is just impossible for me to maintain and do the things that I need to do to keep the roof over my heads and so forth. <clears throat> but... And so that even though I'm, I'm a traditional Catholic, see, I pray the Novus Ordo Liturgy of the Hours every day mm-hmm. because it was meant, and I use it according to the method that's called Shorter Christian Prayer. And, uh, and you can get the books and stuff, you know, they're, they're available from your Catholic bookseller. They, they have these. Um, and, and you follow, and you just, you know, it's, 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 it's a liturgical prayer, and you get to do it every single day. And it really, it helps me to, to begin and end the day with not only with prayer and scriptural prayer, but knowing that I'm united to other Catholics all around the world as I do it. It really helps to, to keep a compass. And then of course, we also have the daily rosary. And that's, again, if you, especially anybody that's listening who's a father uh, of a family, to pray the rosary with your kids and your wife every day, we do it before bedtime here, um, is just, it's an invaluable practice. and. When we first started doing it, we tried to, you know, uh, share around who's going to lead a decade, and now you, now it's your turn. And it was always a train wreck, and you know, the kids were still pretty small. And I just, I, I took it upon myself to play the dad card and say, look, I, I lead the rosary. That's it. And and really, and it's the thing, you know, as, as as kind of spiritual head of the household, I think that's a terrific way for dads to, you know, help bring. Uh, a prayer life into the family and and also to exercise their spiritual authority a little bit and it's well to remember 
that statistically across all denominations and you know Catholic, Protestant, even you know Catholic or Christians and Jews, it is the father's participation in religion that determines whether or not the kids will continue to practice their religion as adults. That's the number one factor is did is dad going to church? Is he faithful? Does he practice the religion? That's the example that, that you have to make. And so that's my thing, as I would say, have, have some kind of rule of life, have some sort of prayer practice that you do every day without fail. And that's, that's the number one thing. That's beautiful. That's, that's outstanding for sure. And that's, uh, he said, the liturgy of the hours, the rosary, these are all things that we can journey with other Catholics around the world, whatever country they're at. Right. I mean, uh, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's one of the, the, the beautiful things about our faith for sure. Matthew, before, uh, before we let you go, how can we get a hold of you? You got a, a great podcast that I subscribed to already called No Nonsense Catholic. And, uh, but yeah, how else uh, can we, can we reach out to you and, and get some of your material? Sure. Okay. Easy way on um, uh, the podcast, you go to vmpr.org. That's version most powerful radio.org. And all the shows are there. You can click on our shows and, uh, you find No Nonsense Catholic there, and you can see either YouTube or listen to the audio podcast. Also, we're available on all, all the regular podcast platforms too. So if you just if you you know have something that you're familiar with, you can find us there as well. Also, I have a uh, website that I don't keep up on very well. It's called No Nonsense Catholic dot uh, org. So you can go to No Nonsense Catholic and uh, check things out, or Matthew Arnold dot org, which is my website that has if you want to like. Um, go to find look at books or, or other products and things that I've done. Uh, MatthewArnold.org is your best bet. Well, it's great to have you as a, as a brother in Christ, Matthew. Thanks so much uh, for joining us up here in Canada. And I hope we can track you down uh, again someday soon. Oh, well, I would uh, very much appreciate that. It's been an honor to be with you. Thanks so much. Again, a big thank you to Matthew Arnold for joining us on this episode of the podcast. And you can check out his podcast at No Nonsense Catholic. And, you know, anything at Virgin Most Powerful Radio, VMPR Radio, uh, get them on uh, anywhere you get your fine podcasts. They've got, in addition to Matthew Arnold, Terry Barber, Jesse Romero, Gary Machuda, um, Bishop Strickland even has a weekly show. And uh, all these shows are just uh, so edifying for us as Catholics. And I listen to them all. And uh, they're just such a source of strength for me and uh, just getting me motivated to want to be a a follower of Christ and to invite as many people as possible to come to know the fullness of being in the Catholic Church and loving our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening, everyone. Again, a reminder, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and on Parler. And uh, like, subscribe, and share as you see fit. And remember, Catholics, you know the drill. You got to go to confession at least three times every year, every Advent, every Lent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin. Don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening, everyone. God bless you. We'll talk to you very soon.